today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, he's a returning guest who approached me with an intriguing idea for a show. Now, he's a journalist by profession. Today, he uh, works on a blog called The Spy Command. His idea was to focus on the early career of composer Johnny Williams, as he was known then. So, uh, I hope you'll please join me in welcoming Bill Koenig to the program. Hi, Bill. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Good, good. And I really was uh, excited about your idea. Uh, I'm starting to kind of look at individual composers and featuring them. We'll have an upcoming episode on uh, Henry Mancini that you'll be able to hear soon. And and I think also following that up with uh, Johnny Williams, especially the early part of his career, which a a lot of fans may not be familiar with. So I I think this will be a really interesting show. since you've been on the show before, I, I, I don't wish to repeat ourselves too much, but if you could just kind of let our audience know a little bit about yourself, your uh, your background and growing up and family life, and then, then we'll kind of get into the music part of it. But uh, let us know a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in the uh, college town of Bloomington, Indiana. Um, you know, I've been an enthusiast of spy-related things, but also you know, 1960s adventure shows. I mean, these, you know, were the, these were big parts of my childhood. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and I've always been attracted to, uh, soundtracks. The very first soundtrack I purchased was, uh, Diamonds Are Forever in 1971. Um, I still have it, the, the sleeves kind of beaten up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I uh, bet. Yeah, and you know, you, and you but, you, you but, talk about uh, you know how you uh, liked things uh, in the early days from your childhood and whatnot. One of the things, if for those of you that maybe aren't aware, because Bill and I are quote Facebook friends, uh, one of the things I love that Bill posts on Facebook a lot of times are these old TV episodes that he seems to find deep in the bowels of YouTube. It's a YouTube's amazing, and uh, so you know, I really appreciate you kind of sharing those because sometimes I'll take a look at them and it really takes me back. Um. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for kind of sharing that. And and again, you uh, yeah. Are, are you a, a recovering journalist, or are you still actively working as a journalist? Uh, I'm still active for now. Okay. 
put it that okay. way. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. And of course, and I mentioned the blog and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the show. Um, concerning Johnny then, uh, tell us a little bit about the, his, his start. His, I mean, the very start of his career. How was it that he, uh, he got started? Uh, can you kind of share a little bit about what you know about that? Well, I, I know he was born in New York. At some point in the 50s, he, he moved out to uh, L.A., and he was able to get employment as a musician. And, for example, in the original 1958 recording of the Peter Gunn theme by Henry Mancini, uh, Williams is playing the piano. Huh. And, um, and, in fact, it's, it's funny because 20 years later, in when uh, John, then just John Williams received the Oscar for scoring uh, St- uh, Star Wars, Henry Mancini was one of the presenters. It was Henry Mancini, Johnny Green, and Olivia Newton-John presenting yeah. it. And uh, you know that year, actually, John Williams was actually nominated for two scores, so he he represented two of the five nominees. Wow! And and um, anyway. Williams won it and he was he had already won Oscars prior to this but you know Star Wars helped him transcend you know he became familiar to general audiences after Star Wars but he you know you you could tell there, there was an affection between Mancini and and Williams you know when Williams came up to get the Oscar and um yeah and and I'm told, but I, you know, it's like I haven't verified this. That even though in 1961, even though Williams was now scoring a lot of TV episodes, um, that uh, um, he played piano on uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. So huh. like he's still doing a little, uh, still doing a little work, a little studio work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you know, clear, clearly there was an affection between the two guys, and uh, it it must have been a great moment for the two of them. You know, Mancini yeah. giving him the Oscar and Williams receiving it. I bet, and and of course we, you know, and I still want to focus on on the early days, but I, I have to mention because and, and since you mentioned it, there's a lot of people that credit Star Wars and the score to Star Wars as kind of being a renaissance of a film music collection, I guess, if you will, or people buying film music. Yeah. Uh, it, it all of a sudden became cool to buy, you know, records like that again. So, I mean, it, uh, the film music industry owes a lot to him if for no other reason, just for that. And I remember that original Star Wars vinyl issue because there were two discs. Two, I know, geez. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty rare in those days to get two discs. Usually it was like one disc, about 40 minutes, and that was it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that was very much, and I believe it might have been two discs a year later when Williams' score for Superman came out. I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. So. Well, you mentioned uh, Peter Gunn, where uh, uh, Johnny played on the uh, piano. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we have a listen to that? Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to choose that amongst uh, some of his uh, early works. Well, uh, simply because it, it, it shows you you know, he was in demand as a musician. And also for, for Mancini, Peter Gunn, I'm pretty sure was his first big hit. That really put him on the map. Uh, I mean, he had done some stuff before that, but once, once Peter Gunn came out, he was, he was on a roll. So, uh, yeah. 
And, so, and, and, I, and I would guess in those days, too, it was kind of unusual for a, a TV theme to be a, quote, hit, unquote. I mean, yeah. And, you know, because they then came out with an album of Peter Gunn music. Now, huh. I, I think technically it may not be original soundtrack. You know, I think the Peter Gunn theme is a little longer, for example, you know, at the beginning of the album. But yeah. Yeah, but it was it was a it was a big seller in and you know, again, it made Mancini really popular and, and John Williams was part of it. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This will for some of us bring back some great memories. This is an iconic piece of music. This is the theme from Peter Gunn, and it features Johnny Williams on the piano. Let's have a listen. Okay, I mean, I, 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 am going to ask this question, but I don't want you to take it the wrong way. It, sure. What, what qualifies you to be kind of an expert on Johnny Williams' early career? Um, well, I, I don't consider myself an expert. I'll just put it this way: it's something that I've made a point of of kind of taking in, and I take note of when I see it. Um, one thing that got me interested: the, there were like two debates years apart. One was on, oh, the message board of a James Bond website, and the other was on Facebook. And in both cases, somebody posed the question, what would have happened if John Williams had done the early Bond films instead of John Barry? Now, I'm a big admirer of John Barry's work on the Bond films, but right. but there were some responses that I thought were a little off kilter. And they people were saying, well, you know, I find Star Wars bombastic. And and I tried to 
kind of reply that, well, you know, first of all, Star Wars was like 15 years after the first James Bond film. And, and number one, and two, composers' styles vary. They evolve over time. And three, composers do, the music they do is what they think the work requires. And the reason right. John, John Williams did what he did for Star Wars was he, that's what he thought the material called for. But that, but, but I tried to make the point, you know, if you really want to explore that thing, that, that issue, you should look at what John Williams was doing in the late 50s, early 60s, you know, to get an idea of what he might have been able to do, you know, for, for Bond films. And I know, huh. I know recently Williams, of course, he turned 90 earlier this year. He did say, well, yeah, sure, I might want to do a James Bond movie at some point. And, um, Anyway, I, I just know from my own listening, you know, Williams was was pretty versatile in the. He's been, well, he's been very versatile throughout his entire career. Yeah, and, and there is there is stuff there in that early '60s period when he was billed as Johnny Williams that people would have no idea that he did it, and 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 a lot of it's like really great. And, and he's doing it on, on a TV schedule with TV resources, you know, a lot fewer, you know, no, no 80-piece orchestra here. Yeah. Uh, but, but it sounds still great. So it, it does. And I think that, you know, because of the cues that you've chosen to play today, uh, you're going you're gonna to hear that versatility, uh, which is, you know, which is, uh, again, shows the talent of the man. And I just, and also I just, you just mentioned it. I love it. At age 90, yeah, sure. I'd like to do a Bond film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mean, he's amazing. He's, you know, I got to tip my hat to him. It's amazing at age 90. Yeah. Not only is he still composing, but he's still performing. He's still conducting in front of an audience. I mean, that's. Yeah. And, and he's, he, I guess he's still working on this fifth Indiana Jones movie. And he's right. He, he said it might be the last one, but you know, it, because he said at my age, <laughs> you know, oh. you know, uh, a, a movie soundtrack is like a you know like a six month investment of time. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a pretty major investment for me to make right now. But uh, yeah, and and again, I'm I'm not criticizing John Barry whatsoever. I'm I'm a great. Oh, I know. But uh, you know, but but to say, well, Star Wars is kind of bombastic. It's like you know, you, you really ought to learn more about the early John yeah, I, Johnny I, Williams. I, I'm not sure I can consider that an accurate comment. And by the way, you know better than to criticize John Barry in front of me, so I don't take offense to what you're saying. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, one of the cues that you chose was from a uh, an early TV series that he worked on. Um, it's called M Squad. Yes. And uh, the, the cue you chose was uh, uh, called The Chase. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that cue and why you wanted to include that to listen to today? Well, M Squad was John Williams's first scoring assignment. And, oh, wow. And uh, M Squad, it was a half-hour police drama that starred Lee Marvin. It had a pretty snappy theme by Count Basie. And, um, and it was made at, um, at that time, it was called Review, R-E-V-U-E, huh. which was part of MCA which had been a talent agency that wanted to get into TV production. It eventually took over Universal and then took on the Universal name. But in any case, the guy who hired uh, John or Johnny Williams 
was uh, a, a guy named Stanley Wilson. He ran the uh, the TV music operation at Review, and he rec- he he did the occasional score himself. But he but a lot of what he did was like hire composers, and and you know the deadlines were tight, and so he was the first person to hire John Williams to do a wow. to do a score. And you might say, well. How smart do you have to be to hire John Williams? Well, in, in the in the late fifties, well, you know, no one had hired him to do yeah. a score, so <laughs> I guess that made him pretty smart. And and there were other, uh, I mean, I mean, he recruited the likes of Jerry Goldsmith to work on a show called Thriller. He, uh, a guy named Morton Stevens, he hired him for his first scoring. Now, Morton Stevens isn't that well known, but you know, he he wrote the theme to Hawaii Five O and did a lot. Right television work over the years and you know he recruited quincy jones to work on you know the pilot for ironside and the wow in early episodes so i mean so so stanley wilson's you know he's one of these forgotten people uh although my understanding is there is like a little street on the universal lot named after him uh but uh anyway um i i just wanted to give him a shout out because again he helped set john williams on this path to where he's now so renowned yeah he deserves a lot of credit then i mean and and you mentioned and i've i've heard the stories you mentioned the uh, the tight timelines in those days for tv shows i mean sometimes i'm just amazed i would hear these stories in fact i think it was with goldsmith where he worked on a weekly show that was live and and they would play the music live and it was like a half hour or hour drama and he'd have to write all this music within, you know, just a few days and they rehearse for a day and then have to play it live. I mean, it was amazing with the output these guys had and the pressure they must have been under. And, and in the case of um, a show like M squad or, or some of these we'll be talking about, you know, he might get the assignment on a Thursday or Friday and have to have it in by Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. It's just like, so yeah, very tight, you know, because, you know, first of all, they made a lot more episodes in those days. I mean, they might make like 39 episodes in a season. Well, that's right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it had to be tight. So anyway, but uh, well, yeah. let's have a listen. This is uh, again from the uh, TV show called M squad and the queue is called the chase and it's written by, and it's the first effort of a, of a scoring assignment written by composer Johnny Williams. Thank you. 
I'm a, I don't know if you know the background on this or not, but I'd be curious if you do. What, what was it you think that led to the changing of the name from Johnny to John? I want to say, I want to say the first film he worked on where he went or he wrote under John Williams was the Cowboys. I could be wrong, but. Um, yeah. But uh, what led to that? Do you know? I mean, I mean, I mean, I know. I realize Johnny kind of sounds a little immature or whatever. But I mean, was there some kind of a hidden reason that we don't know about as to why he changed the name? I have to admit, I don't know. Actually, with his very first credit, he was John T. Williams, and then he huh. went to, and then he went to Johnny within a year because there was another review show called Johnny's Staccato that featured music by Elmer Bernstein. Another hmm. another great composer, and yeah, the, the format was John Cassavetes was a star. He had he what he had been a musician, but he ended up becoming a detective. But instead of having an office, he hung out at a jazz club where he would play with the boys. But and that's where he took his calls. So in the very first episode of uh, Johnny Staccato, uh, you know John Cassavetes is on the piano, and they have this very dramatic introduction of all the jazz of all the the players and then you know the the owner of the club motions johnny staccato you gotta call you gotta call and so john cassavetes then motions to a guy you can't see and then you have to take over for him on the piano and you know this guy comes over and they play together for a second then johnny staccato leaves well that guy is johnny williams and (laughs) and i did not know that because when i'm watching it first of all the shots it's kind of a long shot for one thing but you know he's he's got hair, he's clean shaved. Yeah. So let me let me make sure I understand this right. You're saying he appeared on camera. He appeared on camera. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he appears on camera, but I didn't know this until the end titles when it identified all the musicians and you know the last one, Johnny Williams, piano player. <laughs> um, and he was now a friend of mine has told me I've seen the movie, but I wasn't watching for this. There's also a comedy from 1959, a movie called Bell Book and Candle, had James Stewart, Kim Novak, Jack Lemmon. It's a comedy involves witches and witchcraft. And, and so there was a scene at some place called the Zodiac Club, and there's a piano uh-huh. player. And apparently that's John Williams as well, huh. but uncredited. You know, so, uh, but uh, I, I just heard about that this past week, in fact, before <laughs> before this recording so yeah he, he would yeah but definitely on johnny staccato because he is credited he's on camera and uh yeah i wonder if he has a sag card that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh one of the other cues that you chose was i believe the 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 tv i'm not familiar with it but the tv show was called checkmate um, yes yeah, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to choose that amongst your favorites of his early work. Well, um, I this may be his first theme music because, again, with M Squad, Count Basie had done the theme. Ah, okay. Um, but he definitely did the theme, and he did score at least some episodes. And again, it's you know, again, a show made it review, and again, he would have gotten the work through uh, Stanley Wilson. The, the format of Checkmate was you had two dashing detectives played by Anthony George and Doug McClure, and they were helped by a criminology professor played by uh, Sebastian Cabot. Anyway, it's, it's a very, the theme, which is what I pick, it, it's, it's very striking. And, and, you know, again, I mean, at this point, 
John Williams would have turned 30 and he is, you know, but yeah, you can tell he's a talented guy uh, yeah. just with this music. Yeah. I found, um, again, I, I probably wouldn't have uh, known it was him when I first heard it, but then I, when I knew it was him and I heard it, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I hear it. So, uh, you know, there's several examples here we're playing today that, that, demonstrate that there there is a style that he has that uh, that seems to come through um let's let's have a listen to this and this is the theme i take it yes it's the it's the main theme music okay the main theme which was i guess the first tv theme that uh, johnny was able to compose it's from the tv show called checkmate let's have a listen One of the, uh, I guess I can't call it a cue, but one of the links that you sent me that has uh, samples of uh, some of his early work uh, brought back really great memories that came floating, uh, flooding back. Because uh, I'm, you know, ashamed to admit it, but I'm old enough to remember some early TV shows in the 60s, I guess, if you will. Uh, the one that stands out in my mind is uh, Lost in Space. I mean, I could, I could hear it in my head before I started playing it. And I'd forgotten, uh, which we're going to be able to play for you, that actually he had uh, written two different themes for it, I believe. so. That, um, that's right. He, he did two different themes for Lost in Space, and he did two different themes for Land of the Giants. These are all Irwin Allen shows. Um, actually, with Land of the Giants, he transitioned from Johnny to John. But uh, Ah, okay. But because well, tell, Tell us a little bit about why you, man, and, and this is actually kind of unique. It's it's a rather long cut that we're going to play for you, but it it features uh, several TV themes. Kind of let our audience know about what those themes are and, and why you wanted to include that today. Well, um, starting with Lost in Space, but also extending through, I'm trying to remember the titles now, The Time Tunnel right, and Land of the Giants, Um Williams had been hired by producer Irwin Allen, who in the 60s was doing these science fiction-oriented adventure shows. And that relationship would pay off for Williams' later career because when Williams, uh, I'm sorry, when Irwin Allen started doing these big disaster movies, you know, The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno, he hired John Williams to do the scores and you know he and you know so my contention is is that the relationship between john williams and erwin allen was you know very much helped williams career uh as a result um what this cut is it's it's a medley essentially of of uh the themes because you have like the main title and then the end title music you know the end title being shorter than the main than the main title um but again they're very distinctive and you know you you listen to these and 
of course it's John Williams, but you know, again, <laughs> he wasn't that he wasn't famous then. So, um, and, and what do, what do you think? It's interesting because uh, there's only two relationships I can think of. Obviously, John Williams had a very special relationship, or has a special relationship with Steven Spielberg, right? And then of course, now you bring up the one with Irwin Allen. What do you think is behind that? Why is it that uh, he tends to gravitate to working with the same people all the time? Unlike, quite frankly, a lot of other composers that seem to float around all kinds of different directors and producers. Well, you know, again, I'm, this is just an educated guess, but I, I huh? assume he must have enjoyed working with, with Irwin Allen. If he didn't, I, you know, I don't think he would have, he would have come back. I mean, that's, yeah. that's human nature. And, and from Alan's perspective, I can absolutely understand it. Like, you know, he had, uh, he had done, you know, he had provided great work and like, so like, okay, I'm going big now with Poseidon Adventure. I need someone I can depend on. So I'll, uh, I'll bring uh, John back. I mean, I mean, that's my guess as to how it played out. Sure. Sure. And, and because it is interesting, yeah, I'm assuming you would agree with me that it is interesting how. Music can elevate a project. I mean, it, 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 it can't necessarily destroy it or, or, you know, make it worse, but it certainly can elevate it and make it better. And I suspect maybe that's what he, he saw evidence of, of what John Williams was able to contribute to his projects. Right. And as a very quick aside, I, I think one reason why I remember some of these things from the 60s so fondly is because of the music. Because in the early to mid-60s, on weekly episodic television, you had John Williams, you had Lalo Schifrin, you had Jerry Goldsmith. Now, Goldsmith was also doing movies at that time, but, you know, he was still doing TV work. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and that's just, that's a lot of great talent, you know, contributing to this. And I, I suspect the, the scores they provided did, in fact, elevate the, the material. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this again. This is kind of a medley of several different uh, TV themes, uh, as uh, Bill had mentioned, both main themes and end title themes. Uh, it's a little bit of a long cue, but I think it's worth it because it's fabulous music. Uh, we're talking about music from Lost in Space, The Time Tunnel, and Land of Giants, all of them written by a composer known at that time as Johnny Williams. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Thank you. 
back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask us some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. I'm, um, he did go through a transition where he was almost exclusively on working on uh, TV, but there was a point where he transitioned, uh, you know, to film. I don't think he, well, I don't know. You can help me understand this. I don't know if he flat out left TV and went to film or if he did a combo for a while and then stayed exclusively on film or not, but, uh, Tell me a little bit about what your understanding or your memory is about the, his transition from working on TV to working on film scores. Well, one of his first film scores is a little bit accidental. It was something called The Killers from 1964. Ah. And, and it was intended to be the first made-for-TV movie. However, you know, it was made at Universal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, again, getting hired by Stanley Wilson. Um but what happened was the killers was deemed to be too violent for TV. And so it got a theatrical release instead. And it's got a great cast. You know, Lee Marvin again. Uh, Lee Marvin, Clue Gulliger, who passed away recently. Angie Dickinson, John Cassavetes, and in his final film appearance, Ronald Reagan. I, knew, I was waiting for that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, you know, 
Reagan mostly played likable characters in this case. You know, he was, he was the villain who had actually hired the hitmen. The plot, <laughs> the plot basically is, you know, these two uh, hitmen go and take out this guy and he's a teacher at a uh, blind school. And the guy doesn't try to flee. He gets his students out, but then he's just sits there and he takes it when, you know, they pump him full of shots. And then the killers be, begin to wonder, well, why did he do that? Why didn't he try to go? And then he decide there's more to this. You know, we were, we were offered a lot more money than we should have been offered. Mm-hmm. So it becomes this, this, uh, thing. And, and it was a remake of a 1946 film with, uh, Burt Lancaster among others. Anyway. So John Williams is doing the music for it and it becomes a film score instead of a TV score. Yeah. So, um, that I, I, I can't get, you know what? I, haven't had a chance to look it up, so I don't. I can't guarantee that's his very first film score, but it's got to be one of the first. And again, it's it's kind of by accident. And he was starting. I I do know he, by the late sixties he was starting to transition. He was certainly into pretty much into film only by the early seventies. Um, and it's kind of an eclectic group of scores. You know, it was. Uh, there was like 73 was the long goodbye, which was this very quirky Robert Altman, uh, directed Philip Marlowe movie with Elliot Gould. Hmm. Um, you know, he did the Sugarland express, which was his first collaboration with Spielberg. Right. I think that was 74 maybe, um, which led to jaws in 75. And And the the Cowboys what in 72, I think it was. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And when was the Reavers? Because I remember that one too. You know, I, I have to look it up, but that's uh, the Reavers. I think CBS was actually involved with movies at the time, but it was under a different brand name. It was like General Cinema Corporation. Oh, okay. Uh, which why they did that instead of just calling it CBS Films, I don't know. But um, that I think was one of his early films as well. Um, For some reason, I have a memory of. I think my mom took me to see the Reavers and I was, I was pretty young and I want to say it was a kind of a, I don't even remember the film that much anymore. I need to revisit it, but I think it was a little bit risque for a young kid. Yeah. You know, and I I remember going, wow, look at this. (laughs) So, uh, but I remember, I distinctly remember some of the music he did for that. So, uh, well, you know, it's funny because where John Williams really, I mean, I, we ended up, at my house, my home, we ended up actually getting the soundtrack to the towering inferno. Yeah. But, but where William's name really leapt out to me was jaws in seven. Oh yeah. And, and I remember thinking as I was watching it because of the similarities between like the main jaws theme and the main psycho theme <laughs> from, from that <laughs> movie, I was thinking, you know, if Hitchcock does another movie, he ought to hire this John Williams guy. And yeah. then he and then he did for his final film. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah. You uh, know, and, it, and and I know we're focusing on the early career, but I've got to bring it up, and I'm sure you remember this. I'm sure you've seen the film. It was like part of a documentary, I think, is something. But apparently, when uh, when Williams was working on uh, on Jaws, he had Spielberg come over to his house, and he said, "Let me play you the main theme on the piano." And he goes, "Dun dun 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 dun,", dun. and Steven Spielberg says, "What? That's it?" <laughs> you know, but when you hear it with the orchestra and whatnot, wow, pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, 
I just laughed when I saw that. It was it was great. Well, uh, we'll, we'll go back to The Killers, which is a film that you mentioned, uh, quite possibly the very first film that Johnny Williams worked on. I, I, I'm assuming this is the main theme, probably? Yes, yes. Or, or actually, I think it's it's almost a medley of the theme and, and some bits from some the score, bits, if I remember. Yeah. But. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is from the film called The uh, The Killers, written again by our featured composer today, Johnny Williams. Let's have a listen.
One of the uh, last cues that we wanted to play today was uh, from a show that was called Craft Suspense Theater. Sounds daunting, doesn't it? Um, I'd be curious, what um, what led you to want to choose that amongst uh, some of the ones you uh, uh, some of the cues you wanted to highlight from his early career? Well, a few years ago, I stumbled on this on YouTube. It was a copy of the original broadcast of an episode called Once Upon a Deadly Night, I think. And it involves authorities trying to track down a psychotic killer who's been nicknamed Georgie Porgy. And um, it's got a cast of character actors, uh, no real stars. The most recognizable person is Ted Knight is a small role. Oh, wow. But, but uh, anyway, and it, but it was directed by Robert Altman, and it's very intense. And in addition to the craft suspense theater theme he did, he scored that particular episode as well. Uh, again, very intense. You might find it in YouTube under that name, or you might find it under something called Nightmare in Chicago, which appears to be like an expanded version that maybe got released overseas internationally. Um, oh, okay. But... Again, Williams scored it. Yeah, in the middle of this manhunt, the U.S. military decides to also be transporting a missile through the Chicago area. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> everything's, you know, very intense yeah. uh, story. And, and, you know, really does give Williams a chance to, to shine. And just, uh, but, but watching the version of the, of the original broadcast is weird. It's a black and white copy of a color original. And so you're like, you're watching it and then like, oh, now time for a commercial from Kraft. Here's a recipe from Kraft. Oh, yeah. back, back to the hunt for the psychotic killer. Uh, but, <laughs> but, YouTube is just a treasure trove. I've, I, you know, I'm just amazed at what you can find on there. Yeah. The, the, the one problem with YouTube is, of course, sometimes the studios then have stuff yanked. Um, we really do need some kind of firm repository where we know it's going to stay uh and be accessible but uh in any case again this is you know this is probably we're probably i don't know the exact year we're probably talking about 63 64 somewhere in there um but yeah but again i mean john or johnny williams i mean you know his his talent is evident uh and and that theme is is we're going to play is, is really intense. It's kind of, you can, t <laughs> you're not going to be relaxed after, after listening to it. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's judge for ourselves. This is again, the uh, main theme from a television show called craft suspense theater written by composer, Johnny Williams. <laughs> Well, as we kind of wrap things up, Bill, um, I mentioned that you, uh, while you're still an active journalist, but you also of interest to some of our listeners, I'm sure, 
they might be interested in the, in the blog that you uh, write for called the uh, Spy Command. Can you tell us a little bit about that blog and how people can find you on the, on the internet for that? Sure. Uh, the URL is hmssweblog.wordpress.com uh, because the spy command is not the original name of the blog. Um, you know, it's primarily about spy-related entertainment, although I occasionally stretch it beyond that. Um, you know, things are a little slow right now. Uh, no James Bond movie <laughs> in production. Yeah. You know, and, and probably and got, won't be for a while, actually. Yeah, and, and we got to wait till next year for uh, uh, the next Mission Impossible movie. Um, but you know that, that that's what the that's the focus of the blog. Um, one quick thing: there is a the post I I did, and just as we record this, it was earlier this week. One of the posts I actually enjoyed the most recently was I had a chance to interview a, an author named John Crampner. He's done a biography of the screenwriter, Ernest Lehman. Uh, I kept my questions primarily to Lehman's spy work, which in North by Northwest, one of the greatest spy movies of all time. Right. Uh, but I, I, I find Lehman a fascinating character. And uh, I know I, I, I kind of met John via Twitter and he was, you know, he tweets under the uh, handle Ernest Lehman bio. Uh, he started like, tweeting out bits of interesting research he had come across. And so I said, listen, when you're, you're ready to publish, you know, let me know. I'd, I'd like to interview about North, North by Northwest and his other spy stuff. Yeah. So that ran uh, here recently. And I, I, did, I just had a real kick working on that. It was, it was because it was different. And, um, you know, because right now with Bond-related stuff, there's a lot of baggage, you know, because, you know, when are they going to do do one and et cetera, et cetera. So anyway. Yeah. Well, so in other words, uh, if you wouldn't mind repeating that web address again, so they can uh, check out your blog. And by the way, I think the HMSS stands for her majesty's secret servant. That's what I figured. Okay. But anyway, if you wouldn't mind repeating the URL. Yes. The URL HMSS webblog.wordpress.com. Excellent. And listen, if you're not already tuned into this or subscribed to it, I highly encourage you to do it. Uh, Bill's a highly talented uh, writer, and he's really interested. He's re- really written a lot of interesting blogs, not just about James Bond, but uh, all sorts of different topics. And in fact, one of the things I find interesting, and I had no idea we had a mutual friend. Um, I know you've been uh, uh, publishing sometimes uh, rarities in, uh, in, in scripts that have... Uh, you know, for the Bond films that uh, maybe things that got left out of the final product. And you and I uh, apparently both know Gary Furuta and uh, yes. I know Gary has a lot of that unique stuff. So, I mean, I, I think it's been really neat. You've been able to share some of that stuff. It's, it's kind of interesting to see what the the first draft or earlier drafts of a script were and what uh, finally ended up making it to the screen. Well, even, and even late drafts have stuff that gets dropped out. Yeah. Um, um, for example, I have a copy of something that's it's it's listed as being supposedly the shooting draft of Live and Let Die, but it's way different. And the ending in particular is different. It, in fact, the ending of what I have really evokes the ending of uh, North by Northwest. There's no Baron Samity on the train. So I, huh. I'm, I'm guessing they must have come up with that idea during filming, I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe so. 
Well, anyway, uh, please do check out his blog. I highly encourage you to do that. And Bill, look, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I again, I thought you had a brilliant idea uh, to to talk about one of our more iconic composers, but the focus more on the early part of his career that may perhaps many of his fans aren't as familiar with. So I think, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of listeners that really benefit from learning more about the early days of uh, John Williams career. And again, thank you for the idea and, and sharing some of this music with us. Well, thanks Frank. I had a great time. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no, my pleasure. So uh, with that, uh, I just want to remind all our listeners that if you're uh, one of our patrons, we're going to have a bonus episode with Bill here in a minute, and you're going to have a very interesting piece of music to listen to, but it's only available to patrons. Now, if you're not a patron, you probably heard the uh, ad in the middle of the broadcast that gives you the information about how to join up. I would be grateful for your support. I truly would be. And I think this bonus episode is going to be worth it if you're a John Williams fan in particular. Uh, So anyway, with that, um, again, our thanks to Bill for joining us on this podcast today. And I guess there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for joining us on What's the Score? Can you hear anything in the background? No. Good. All I could hear is your voice. Okay, good. Because he's operating an air compressor at the moment oh. next door. So, okay. Okay. No. Um, we're, 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 I'm just going to be really brief, and it's very informal. I'll just say, uh, what was the other cue you wanted to tell us about? And you just kind of tell us, and then I'll then we'll introduce it, and then, then we'll go from there. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Hang on a sec. 
Welcome to our patrons. Uh, back for the uh, uh, bonus segment with our guest, Bill Koenig. Uh, he told me as we were preparing for this about another cue that he wanted to play that I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. We need to hear this and we need to hear the story behind it. So, Bill, why don't you uh, let our patrons know about uh, this unique cue that you wanted to share with us? Well, in the uh, by the fall of 1966, uh TV producer William Dozier was riding pretty high because, you know, he had had Batman that came in in the middle of the 65-66 season. So in the fall, he's got Batman for a second season. He's got the Green Hornet. And he had a situation comedy called The Tammy Grimes Show. Well, the latter didn't do very well. It got yanked. I think the network was ABC after four episodes. Um. But the theme music for the Tammy Grimes show was done by Johnny Williams. And in the, for those who listened to the, the earlier big episode, you know, I mentioned about how some uh, people feel like, oh, John Williams would have been terrible as a composer for early James Bond movies because Star Wars is so bombastic, et cetera, et cetera. You know, listening to the theme, the Tammy Graham show, this is, this is the most unlike John Williams thing ever. Oh, wow. And, uh, cause it's, well, judge for yourself, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's very light. I mean, again, he's writing to the material now on YouTube. I have found two things. One, just the main theme. And then one complete episode. And, and so it was not till I saw that, the end of that complete episode, that I saw the John Williams uh, credit. And also, remember, he also did some uh, episodes of Gilligan's Island, at least in the first season. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so he, again, you know, he, he produced music, you know, based on what he thought the material um uh, called demanded what it needed yeah Yeah. no that that makes sense well now wow now now i'm really curious i can't wait to hear this perhaps i need to check out the episode was the show any good uh eh, i I I think that answered my question okay (laughs) no it's i mean you know the concept was that tammy grimes played a kind of spoiled young woman who went to work for her some one of her relatives bank and she gets into all sorts of mischief and stuff. Oh, and, that Tammy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 well, again, it got yanked after four episodes. So obviously it yeah. didn't resonate with the audience. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's have a listen. This is again, a, a, a theme written by Johnny Williams, uh, for the show called the Tammy Grimes show. Let's, uh, let's hear this and uh, see what you think. Bill, thanks again, especially for sharing that uh, special nugget with our uh, patrons. I really do appreciate it. That was fascinating backstory, and it was kind of interesting to hear hear that piece of music. So my thanks again to you. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Frank. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks again to our patrons for your support. I can't thank you enough, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. And with that, be well. Take care. Bye-bye. All righty, and we are out.